0: If there is any credibility to it, it would not surprise me that he would take a trophy with him. Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world.
1: What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And today is certainly no exception. Great Scott, I point my finger. It is time for your true crime, Phil, with Phil and Scott. The show's so good, it happens live every Friday, usually much earlier. But good Friday to you all. Happy Passover. Happy Ramadan. Whatever other holidays are out there. Uh, best guest today, you know him well. Uh, America's most respected detective, Bill Waters. He spent decades in law enforcement, uh, becoming an expert at obtaining criminal confessions. He spent 23 years working as a homicide detective in the Houston PD, investigating more than 400 homicide cases, including one that took the life of his good friend and fellow police officer. Detective Waters is also a Marine. And also the owner of Kindred Spirits Investigation, and also the star of the show, The Investigate the Interrogator. Someone told me to correct that, and I never did. The interrogator. And he comes to you today from his bunker in Houston. I feel sorry for the poor bastard who tries to break in there. Imagine that. You try to break into Phil's bunker. Uh, Agent Scott Duffy is director of Wilmington University's Criminal Justice Institute. He is a retired FBI agent out of Delaware. He worked violent crime matters, gangs, bank robberies, fugitive task force cases for 20 years. And prior to that, served five and a half years as a Pennsylvania police officer. And now we are almost ready to go. But I first have to remind you, Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter. I give you show updates and times at Podcast STS. Facebook, you get what you get on Instagram, which is updates about the show and some cool pictures, including family photos, things of that nature. Uh, Please become a YouTube member. Please follow us on Patreon. It's been a wacky few weeks. And, uh. Kind of getting back to normal here. Kathleen Bar- Barrett says, lots of love to everyone from the Oregon coast. Love to both Phil and Scott. Um, Thank you. Abby, she's been on the show. Yeah. She wants Phil desperately to adopt her. Uh, talking yeah. about... There she is. She says, uh, I think the- his goose already already k- cooked. We're going to get to Brian Koberger, the evildoer, in just a minute. Uh, But here she is, as is Julie Frew from uh, the UK, Uh, as is Teresa, who writes with a lot of emojis, Scott, Phil, Joel, bravo, yippee, it is Friday. Um, Hi, Julie, I'm not sure what's going on, but feel better and get better. I see people are are sending you some uh, notes of encouragement. Uh, Century Combustion writes, time to get my fill. As does Marina. Hello from Spain to all of STS Nation. Shaquille Oatmeal. We couldn't do a show without Shaq here. Uh, He's saying what's up. Uh, And Marie Hernandez. Kim Smith. We love this. Thank you. A new subscriber from Kentucky. We love your horses and you. Uh, And uh, things are off to a good start here. So there's actually uh, some news with the evildoer, uh, Phil Waters. Um, once again, we have to, I have to caution STS nation because this is primarily coming from one news outlet. And, uh, I don't know how many sources on this cause they did not mention, but it is coming from news nation. It's been picked up by all the media outlets and it is saying, uh, primarily that, uh, the evildoer, Brian Koberger, uh, the university of Idaho quadruple, uh, murder suspect, uh, may may have held on to an ID belonging to one of the four killed in that uh, November quadruple uh, stabbing. Um, Bill Waters, if this is true, and investigators have an ID of one of those four students in their possession that was picked up in his Pennsylvania home or his uh, Pullman Washington apartment, how does that change the dynamic of the case? And that is not a yes or no answer. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're learning you're I'm learning learning i am it takes me I a while from my hand grasshopper uh, half this half this audience will not even know what that even means But uh, <laughs> i think our age group here probably does right yes yes sir um well i would say and of course this is always the <clears throat> qualifier right if this source is and i and i I'm always reticent to to comment about a single source that's not been verified in another way. But since you have asked the question, my, my singular comment would be that it, if, if there is any credibility to it, it would not surprise me that he would take a trophy with him. It's the answer. Okay. Um,
1: And uh, I guess a lot of um, sick killers, that's in their MO. They take a trophy, and in this case, it would be some sort, some form of ID. Uh, Scott, to you, and by the way, STS Nation, you don't just have to ask about the evildoer. You don't just have to ask about Lori Vallow. I'm also going to ask these gentlemen in a little while about the Cash App founder who was uh, murdered on the streets of San Francisco. Uh, earlier in the week. Um, Mm -hmm. And if there are other cases uh, that you want to bring up, feel free to. You got two of the best investigators uh, in all the land. So Friday's a day where we can uh, have a little fun and uh, go out of our uh, typical boundaries. So uh, Scott, to you. In addition, this report says to DNA evidence, which is that uh, fingernail on the knife sheath, at least that we know of, uh, that ties Koberger to that grisly scene. An unsealed search warrant is suggesting, along with these source is or source, that police found unspecified IDs or an ID in the glove box of the doctoral student's car. Um, Jennifer Koffendoffer, who is now a contributor to News Nation, said, and I quote, it is a big deal. That is a not a smoking gun. But a smoking license. What would it mean if they did find uh, this form of ID of one of the
0: uh, victims?
2: Yeah, just like Phil, it's it's uh, it's great for the case. It further supports it. It also depends when were these IDs taken. Were these IDs taken prior to the crime, and it just goes to further support uh, support the fact that. He has been stalking these victims that um, he had gotten close to these victims one of these victims, or all of these victims and uh, and managed to obtain an ID whether it from their car their person perhaps uh, somebody left it on a table and um, and so it just goes to show that that uh, if if law enforcement is able to verify If these IDs were in their possession um, up to and including the day of the crime, the day of the homicides, then he's taken it as a trophy and uh, connects him to even more so um, being there on the day of and 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 further support committing these crimes. So it it, it all comes down to now is when were these IDs taken? um, If, in fact, one or more of these IDs are in his possession.
1: You see, Scott Duffy did not give a terse answer there, and he he expounded and and went to the point of when it would have been dis- uh, taken before, after the crime, really breaking it down. And Phil Waters' text alert went off there. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, how is your wife? How has she not divorced you with that text alert, Phil? That thing would drive me well, crazy.
0: With most everything I do, there's a purpose behind it. <laughs> uh, I. Uh, I'm not a big fan of texting. I really do not enjoy or care to participate in text messaging conversations. They are very irritating. If you want to talk to me that much, call me on the freaking phone that you're texting on. And so, by, by the
1: way, I've only texted with Phil. I never knew this until now, but now I know. Uh,
0: <laughs> so I have the, that is a bozo horn. Mm. So when it goes off, I know that there is some bozo who is texting me. Is that a specific bozo? Does that go off for just a specific person? Oh, everybody. Would... Everybody. It, it, my, you know, everybody. My wife, you, Scott, uh, <laughs> and, my, friends, uh, my haters, uh, whoever it may be. And I'm, a, let's I'm, an, equal, I'm an equal opportunity, okay. indiscriminate uh, use of the bozo horn.
1: Now, so, let's just, a hypothetical here. You and your wife and uh, maybe two of your children are visiting in town tonight and you're having dinner and someone texts you, what do you, what does your family say to you when your text alert goes off? I might be losing viewers right now, but it's worth it for me to get this answer.
0: <laughs> well, they don't say anything to me because they, they know the story behind the bozo horn. They know it.
1: Gotcha. You. So you know, people who really know, you know, not to text you is, is what you're saying.
0: Yes. Call me on the phone.
1: Got it. Um, Mitzvah, stay up here. Hey, all from the UK. I'm really tired, so may not make it for long. She just definitely fell asleep and then got a- awakened by Phil's uh, bozo horn. Uh, <laughs> I will try and stay awake. Uh, Laura writes, hello, SS Nation. Great to see you. T Hang watching us from Mexico. She is stopping by to say hello. Melissa, we love you for this comment. Best channel out there. Best guest as well. We are working uh, to make sure that is the case. Sensory Combustion. Great Scott, time to get my true crime fill. Yes, it is. You have to put your finger in the air. Great Scott. Uh, <laughs> hey, from Richmond, Virginia, Frankie Figgs, who was very kind when uh, she got news of my father's passing. I will never forget that. She says, hello, STS Nation. Uh, Adriana, hi from D.C. Delena, hello from Naples, Florida, which is a... Hop, skip, and a jump away from where I am and a place that is near and dear to Phil water's heart. Happy Aloha Friday from Maui. Uh, Aloha. Aloha. So um, some more news that other uh, media outlets, not just News Nation, has uh, picked up on in relation to the evildoer, um, and that is his potential involvement in other outstanding homicides. it, if they are uh they're looking at something very specific that's unsolved with these parameters, they're probably looking in the right direction. Again, that was Jennifer Koffendoffer speaking on the Chris Cuomo show. Um apparently sources are telling News Nation and another outlet or two that uh, authorities in Pennsylvania are quite possibly right now reviewing other cases and a little more than just reviewing potentially looking at the evildoer for some unsolved crimes. Phil, is that surprising in any way, shape, or form? That's a yes or no. So uh, in addition to
0: that, what would investigators be doing right now? Well, you know, uh, Jonathan and I, we discussed this way back when about the due diligence that's going to have to be performed exercised with this investigation, and that is looking at any other possibility of a related homicide or homicides now i would just caution everyone that because they're doing that does not mean there will be any connections so while this is this is part of what they should be doing in this investigation and it is just as important to eliminate these types of things as it is to find out if there's any connection. So, uh, and that's, that's what they're doing. And I think that's, that's, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what the results are, but they're going to have to have some type of, uh, tangible affirmative link to those, those homicides that they're investigating that, uh, that might bridge the two scenes together. But Phil, how did they
1: even know where to begin with that? Um, And and how far back would they have to go? I believe Brian is 28 years old. So, I mean, how far back do they have to go? Because he could have been committing
0: a crime at 18 or 19, potentially. Well, he could have been committing a crime as a juvenile. So I I think you go back to, you're going to have to pick an age. I don't know, I, I might, if I'm looking at this, I, I might go knowing knowing that he had that we have found things in his past when he was in high school and so forth and so on. So, my way of thinking, not knowing everything that they know, I might go back as far as junior high school and start there and see if there's anything, if there are any any cases in that in that area, and then you as he starts to move around the 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 country you know going to school and so forth and so on, then you start going to those areas and finding if you have any any cold cases, unsolved mysteries and that may bear some similarities but you're gonna you're gonna start you know you've got you've got some parameters here that you can start to eliminate scenes fairly quickly and then when you have some that have some similarities, then you start diving into those and picking those apart and see if there's any kind of any kind of link. And uh, another
1: hypothetical, Phil, let's say three years ago, a woman in the same county uh, as Brian Koberger in Pennsylvania, let's say she was murdered, but she was shot three times and it's not been solved. Uh, Are they immediately glossing over that since she was shot and not stabbed? Or are they saying, hmm, could this still be the evildoer, but he had a different MO at that time? And how would you know how to do that?
0: I don't ever deal in hypotheticals, Joel, so uh, Scott, well, might be appropriate to answer that question. That's very <laughs> smart. We're
1: going to get to Scott in one minute. Lorna says, hello, everyone. Uh, Jody writes, hello from Virginia. There used to be a slogan, Virginia is for lovers. Love, Scott and Phil. Got Tali in Israel. Uh, hope you're staying safe there. Israel getting bombarded uh, at the moment by yeah. rocket from Gaza, so... Uh, Never a good thing, so wishing you uh, a peaceful Passover in the Holy Land. Uh, Mac, look where he is. Hello from Houston, Texas. All right. Love these guys. You uh, you could almost go break into Phil's bunker right now if you wanted to. That would be a mistake.
0: That would be ill-advised.
1: That would would be ill-advised. Suzanne, hello from Canada. Hello from Austria. Hello from the U.K., Salutations from Scott's Neck of the Woods, Baltimore, Maryland. Hello from London. We truly have a global audience. Allie Snow. Hello from Houston, Texas. Um, And then MC Spunky here. Hello. Happy Friday. It is Good Friday. Best guests, Scott, Phil, and Joel from Utah. And then don't forget New Zealand. Don't forget New Zealand. We've got New Zealand here, too. And don't forget... South Africa. We've got Michelle from South Africa here. And uh, she. And don't forget Winnipeg, Canada. We should just do an entire show one day of where people are from. It would be kind of cool. And don't forget Israel. Uh, you, know what?
0: And, you know what, Joe? The, the international audience is growing.
1: It is. It is. This I've is actually pretty, noticed
0: uh, that. This is pretty phenomenal there. It oh, is. I like it, 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 it
1: is. And I, I actually, <laughs> we had, believe it or not, yesterday, and if you didn't see it, please go back and watch, a guy named Rick Allen Ross along with Joshua Ritter and Ann Bremner, who are both phenomenal attorneys. But Rick Allen Ross, I'm going to ask you about this a little later, is one of the world experts on cults in relation to the Lori Vallow Daybell case. And Mm -hmm. uh, super fascinating conversation. So if you guys missed that, uh, please check that out. Um, Scott, Jeanette writes, the evildoer looks too creepy to have not killed before. Uh, I want to get your take on that comment. First of all, let's let's get your take on that comment. Can you ever judge a book by its cover, Scott?
2: Uh, no, no. <laughs> the, the, the simple answer would be no. It's uh, you, It's it's, uh, it's it's tempting, but but no. Let me ask you a question, Phil and Scott.
1: Brian Koberger, you're you're working the case. He gets brought in he's presumed innocent until guilty, but the same way surgeons are talking during operations, are you guys in the back room going, this guy looks like a crazy, creepy bastard you can tell me.
0: Oh, tell you. A, okay. Yeah, is well, that a conversation wait, that you let me, let me send you a text message, Joel. <laughs> that okay. Uh, so,
1: <laughs> um, Scott to you in virtually every high profile case, this is from, uh, famed defense attorney, Mark Garagos. He said this on News Nation. In virtually every high profile case that is a circumstantial evidence murder case, you almost inevitably hear of some other unsolved murder and law enforcement looks to see if they can link whoever the suspect is. For one thing, I suppose it fills a vacuum. Why did someone do this when you don't have a motive? That is the most obvious explanation. Does Garagos He's basically saying that you're always going to look at these guys, um, you know, once there are uh, other cold cases, once you have a suspected uh, killer of this magnitude in custody. Is this true? Oh, absolutely. That's what I just said. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what, I just, that's
0: what I just said. So, well, well, you know, Scott
1: has a different take. Didn't Gary,
0: so- <laughs> didn't Gary guess it, wasn't he Scott Peterson's attorney?
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. Infamous Scott Peterson. Yeah, um,
0: that, guy, that jackass is trying to get, you know, he's trying to get out.
1: He's trying know. to get out. Uh, get killed a pregnant shit. woman. Convicted. Uh, by the way, uh, Scott, we're going to yeah. let you answer in a second. Classic grasshopper. <laughs> Hopper, Hopper. It's about the effing music is this guy's name. Uh, so, Scott, what, what's your take on this? I mean, um, and do you agree with Phil? Or do you need to go back to junior high here?
2: Oh, yeah. Go back as as uh, as early as you can. I mean, so so first and foremost, you're looking for cold cases and pulling out those cold cases regardless. You know, look, so, you know, when when this guy was born, you know, when he starts to um, maybe come of age, junior high, et cetera, and and then start looking at cases. Um, but there's there is a program and I just wanted to mention it called VICAP. And uh, it's it's all what you put into it, right? But BiCap is a great program that ultimately allows law enforcement, um, with a whole bunch of other resources and databases, <clears throat> very unique cases of uh, violent cases, murders, rapes, sexual assaults, and and other uh, violent uh, crimes into this program run by the FBI, and departments then put all that they have into this program which then allows um so for example um you know you have a case in the west coast middle west midwest southeast northeast and uh, not everybody's reading the news not everybody is is just um looking for these high profile cases and then all of a sudden start looking through their cold cases so they are able to search this database for similarities to their crime and then put their crime into this database, so it can be searched by others in law enforcement. So it's a pretty good program, and and it keeps getting better and better. But it is only as good as it's as uh, as what is put into it.
1: I'm fascinated by this. So, what kind of information would you put in that would be similar? Like, I mean, for instance, you put in a white Hyundai Elantra. If maybe he was driving the same sort of car at that time. Or, I mean, what what sort of pertinent information would would you be looking to? put into this program that might be able to link it up to something else.
2: Yeah. So every, every participating and and any agency can participate and, and ultimately looking for a coordinator, right? So, so for example, Delaware would have a uh, Delaware coordinator, small enough, you can have more than one coordinator, but um, you would have a coordinator that would then uh, see a case that's of interest, speak to the investigator and, uh, you know, investigators are very busy with their own work, but you can then have um, ultimately it's it's just inputting information and you're you're going into this database and you are filling in the blank. So it's very specific. It's victimology. It is suspect profiles. It is anything that can assist. Um, so the more you put into it, the better it is for somebody else in another territory to look through without having to um to necessarily reach out to that specific department. But there is contact information that's uh, that allows the investigator that if they can't get what they're looking for just by reading all the reports that have been uh inputted then then there's a contact um for for the one investigator to reach out to another investigator. So BICAP is very specific in it and it requires a lot of information so you just don't have these generalities out there where you know basically anything looks like it can be connected so it's very 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 specific and and it's constantly updated um uh through that unit uh to continue to to make it um uh accessible for for any department in the country best
1: guess with the best information i'm sure soon enough just like with chat a guy like Scott Duffy is going to be able to talk into his phone or desk at work and list everything and say, hey, cap or whatever, I've got this case, it's unsolved, blah, 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 blah. And this AI is going to start to piece together stuff. That's going to be next, which is going to be wild. Uh, Phil's adopted daughter, Abby, whose last name I can't pronounce, um, Teha, I believe it is. I love freaking Phil Friday with Scott, the tough stuff Duffy and MC, MC Jazzy Joel dropping the knowledge. Special thanks to Mrs. Joel. We call her Bugs, the one and only CEO uh, of everything. Chief marketing officer, chief technical officer. She does it all. And uh, speaking of our global audience Staffordshire, U.K., Temple, Texas. Where's that, Phil? Is that near you?
0: It's, uh, I want to say it's about 150 miles. It's probably northwest of uh, us. They're around uh, Austin, between Austin and Dallas, I think. Um, It's a big state, so
1: you got to... It's, nice, it's, nice,
0: it's a nice motorcycle day ride. Motorci- you have a Harley, too, Phil? I used to have... Well, I do have a Harley. I do have a Harley, but I've been... Uh, I've been riding uh, victories. So I've been riding mm-hmm. victories since 2006. And, um, and I just, and in fact, I just picked up a, a 2000 model uh FXSTD, which is the deuce Harley Davidson. And it is going to be reconditioned and uh, it is destined for Hawaii.
1: Listen, I was going to, one of two things convince my soon to be four year old son to become a professional tennis player. I already have him on the court and I am making him hit a thousand forehands and backhands before he goes to bed at night with no food allowed. Um, his other possibility was becoming a 155 pound UFC champion. There could be a little uh brain damage involved with that. Not a great idea. I might convince him to, to become a Houston homicide detective because <laughs> Phil. Waters lives a great life. The guy drives a Ferrari. He wears Hawaiian shirts, spends half the year in Hawaii. The guy's got a good life, man. Maybe he should become a Houston homicide detective. I, I've been I've been very blessed. It wasn't my yeah. doing. Awesome. Just ginger, or ginger, but no R. Hey, from England, happy Easter, Passover to all. Best comment of the day so far from my friend in the south of Spain. What was that sound? That is Phil's bozo horn. I wonder if we're losing more subscribers and gaining right now by doing this. But it's Friday, and this is what we do on Friday. If you don't like it, I well, it's, it's we, we
0: missed a week, so we've got to we've got to catch up here. Wait, exactly. And look, Karen
1: writes, Hi from Australia. We are seeing an uptick in our international audience. We're gonna to have to take an international STS crime tour uh in our special uh, jet, which Phil will provide from his, uh, confines in Houston, Texas. Um, another thing about the evildoer, and then we'll move on. Um, experts, this was out of, uh, Newsweek, believe it or not. Uh, some experts were interviewed and said that they think, um, or agree that Brian Koberger's car is going to emerge as the most damning piece of evidence against him. Uh, And this expert, who is a a forensic expert, says, what I think the key piece of evidence is, is that white Hyundai Elantra, and to the extent that any of the victims have any blood, hair, DNA in that vehicle, that's going to be very helpful for the prosecution. And then Joseph Scott Morgan, a friend of the show who hosts a podcast called Body Bags, he writes, just his car alone is a rolling crime scene. This thing has been pretty much completely dismantled, and they're gonna be using this thing bit by bit. Phil, do you agree with the fact that that is potentially the biggest treasure trove of uh information for investigators that car you're asking me you're gonna say yes you're gonna say no well <laughs> i am ask i am asking you
0: okay well uh yes i i i but, but look if if the car wraps to the scene to his apartment, I mean, it will be part of the big picture. Uh, whether I would call it a a treasure trove, I don't know. It kind of, kind of remains to be seen what comes out of it. But I I I think if if they get one one centella of an identifiable profile from one of those young people in that car, I mean, you know, game over, I think. I I think there's a lot of, but but then if that happens at the apartment, if they find the dog's hair. So there are a lot of areas here where pieces of evidence could rise to the top that is just going to further wrap the scene together in one place with him in the middle of it. So I think I think the car is a key piece of it. I don't know whether it is what I at this point, whether I would say, yeah, that's it. That's 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 it. I think this is one of these big picture cases. and I think every piece of evidence is going to be significant, just like if this is true about the him having one of their IDs. Uh, so all of these pieces, because remember, these investigations. I think I've talked about this before, are like jigsaw puzzles. So when you get the jigsaw puzzle, what's the first thing you do? You throw all those pieces out on the table, and then you turn them all over. And then you build the frame, and then you start putting in the pieces where you think they go. And then you start building this big picture. And as you put more pieces in, the more clear the picture becomes. And then there are some times where the dog eats a couple of the pieces, and so you don't have the whole picture, but you've got enough of it to be able to tell the story about what happened. So uh, I think this is just another piece in that puzzle, Uh, but a significant significant one. And Phil's adoptive
1: daughter here, Abby, says, is it time to lift the gag order so we don't have to keep hearing all these speculative theories, Scott, followed by this comment from Michelle in South Africa, considering the gag order, which is in place, how does all this information get leaked? I would consider it to be potentially detrimental to the court case. What about the fact that information is spilling out, Scott, but there is supposedly a gag order in place? And I apologize again. Got a cough that won't go away. And um, uh, I've got the throat lozenger in. So I apologize if it sounds like I'm chewing tobacco right now. I'm not. Uh, Scott? That's all right. That doesn't bother me a bit.
2: (laughs) Not that Texan. (laughs) Yeah, the, I mean, what does a gag order do? It prevents the the interested parties from speaking to the facts of the case, right? Until until probably it's, at least from what I have gathered in Idaho, until it's made it through a court hearing, and th- and then it becomes public knowledge. So the, you know, it's all speculation. There are theories out there based upon what we think has has come out as a leak. Maybe it is a leak. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a uh, somebody else just uh, surmising, but, but ultimately, um, it, it all depends where the leaks are coming from. So are the leaks just, um, uh, somebody who overhears something between a couple of detectives or, uh, you know, you have, you have, you have a couple of different police departments involved. You have a couple of, uh, different labs involved. And so, you know, your inner circle uh, keeps growing and growing, and so if somebody gets a piece of information, perhaps talks to somebody at home or over coffee or at a bar, and and then just provides a little bit of information, and then somebody tells somebody else, right? And then and then it becomes uh, a story. So yeah, it's it uh, it's all speculation, and we and and that's all Phil and I can talk to is what if if the information was true, what are the uh, plausible theories, et cetera. But um, yeah. I, th- I mean, the gag order is in place and, and there is a reason for it. Um, but, but when information comes out, it's, um, I don't, I don't think at least from the information I've been hearing, it doesn't, doesn't appear to be detrimental to the point that, um, mm. you know, it, uh, uh, changes somebody thought of something. Um, so ulti- ultimately it's, you know, the information will come out. It will come out in due time, and and uh, we could all be wrong, or we could all be partially right, or maybe a hundred. You know, it all it all makes for good talk shows.
1: The voice of reason has spoken, Phil. This is coming from Courtney, not from me. The evildoer seems like a rage-filled Ted Bundy, only without the charm. Seems sexually repressed. Fantasizes about killing women who, in his mind, has felt turned down by women. What say you? I know you're not a criminal profiler, and let me add this question uh, onto this: When you are questioning someone who is suspected of a heinous crime, are how do you keep how do you not profile them a bit? Uh, How do you keep it fair and uh, honest? Uh, Well, uh, well, fair is
0: what you pay a taxi. Okay. So, uh, and, and look, you know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to tell you if you want to use the P word, if we want to use profile, look, what I'm doing when I go into an interview room is I'm preparing myself to interview this particular person. So I have to determine how I'm going to approach them. I need to understand not to say things that may be triggers for them that would somehow breach the the discussion altogether. And and so, I, you know, I, I, and I've talked about it before, I do a psychological autopsy. I want to know them as best as I can before I walk in that room. I've already done research on them in terms of if we get a person that we have not yet arrested, but we know this is our good suspect. I'm already, I'm already compiling that biographical information on them so that I've got something and I'll find something that I can connect to them with because the most, one of the parts of the formula of a successful interview is to share a little bit of yourself. It doesn't mean that you're going to intend to swap spit by the time you get out of there, but you want to share a little bit of yourself and show some empathy toward the person you're talking to, that you have an understanding of the fix therein. And I can tell you that certainly after my years in homicide and having worked the number of cases that I worked, I was able to be empathetic to their plight because I have seen hundreds of people just like them in that situation. So I do understand their level of anxiety. I do understand what they're going through and I do understand what's going through their head. There's been a couple of times in an interview room where I have asked a question and I see the look on their face and they'll look at and they want to answer but they'll hesitate and I'll say I know exactly what's going through your head. And they'll look at me and go, really? And I said, yeah, you're asking yourself, why is he asking me that question? And I've been right 100% of the time.
1: And what did they say when you say that?
0: Well, I don't, uh, when they, when they, when, when I say that to them, what's their yeah. response? Yes. They just kind of look at me and, you know, some of them look at me, I've said it before, kind of like a, you know, a calf looking at a new gate. You know, it's just kind of like, so this guy's a mind reader too, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, and and then I, that gets, and I, I say that because it it gives them a way out. So they're now that I've called them, now that I've said what I've said, and they go, well, yeah, you know, and I said, so, and then I'll explain to them why I asked them that question. Because that's all they ever want is is an explanation. And most of these folks that come down, especially the ones that I brought down non-custodially, they weren't under arrest, they were uh, not in custody, they were free to leave anytime they wanted to, and people will ask me, why in the world would they come down and talk to you? And so I'd like to say, well, it's you know my good looks and charm and all that stuff, but that's not the case. It's just that when you approach people to talk to them about something like homicide, they, especially if you've got the right person, they want to know what you know. And the only way they can find that out is to come down voluntarily and sit in that room and talk with you. What has amazed me more than anything else is, is the length of time that folks will sit in that room and speak with me. And then in most cases, make some admissions and then make a confession and then demonstrate for me what they had done. And and the whole time they could have walked out of the room anytime they wanted to. And they you didn't. think it's because
1: most Americans just don't know their rights? What, what, what do you attribute no, that to?
0: No, oh no, heck no, 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 no. no.
1: no they just want to talk. I mean, they've
0: all seen television shows. I mean, you know, good grief. And, and and well, and look, in a non-custodial interview, they don't have to be Mirandized. There is no requirement in law to Mirandize them. Okay, that's why at the beginning of those interviews, the first thing I say to them is. You're not under arrest. You're not in custody. You're free to leave, and I really appreciate you coming down here voluntarily to speak with me. So you are you, you know, require are you required to say that part at the beginning? I I won't tell you that it is a. If you take my class, I will tell you you need to do it. You absolutely have got to do that because what that does. I, there's not a requirement in law, but there is in in my instruction in interviewing. It is a must do. And what that does is that sets the tone for the rest of that interview. And it allows the prosecutors to be able to answer the question that the defense is going to be asking is, was my client coerced? Was my client threatened? Was my client this and that? And did my client get his rights read? Well, if it's non custodial, it's not a requirement of law. So they're down voluntarily. So do you think it's human nature
1: um, that people, you know, they feel, especially if they've committed the crime, it's almost like they need to get it off their chest and talk about it. And they, they meet a guy like Phil Waters, very charismatic, very engaging, seems kind, genuine. He wants to be there. He wants to hear your story. Do you attribute it more to human nature that they sit there and they don't get up and leave, that they want to reveal information or share it with
0: somebody? Oh, I I think in many cases, yes, and of course, in in, I mean, nine times out of ten, they start with denials. You know, I mean, I didn't do it, or you know, know, they've got some, or they, or they'll make an admission about something that, on the surface, seems very uh, mundane, seems very benign. I had a capital murder suspect who I think I've talked about him before who. Murdered a little, you know, four foot 10, little, uh, uh, Latina gal coming home from her birthday party at four o'clock in the morning. And he walked up to her and he stuck a Glock, uh, 40 Cal in her throat and blew her head off and stole her purse. And, uh, she had apparently her pin number was written on her debit card. And, um, he went around. The first thing he did was 45 minutes later, he was down, uh, Withdrawn 300 bucks from every ATM machine he could find. So, and then he went to Walmart on a shopping spree and, and was passing the card around. Well, the first thing he did, and it was a non-custodial interview, by the way. But the first thing he did when we started talking was immediate. He made an admission that he had the card. So he he's already, yeah, oh yeah, I had the card. Well, where did you get the card? Oh, I found it. So well, here you go. So. You know, he tells a little bit of the truth, but then he tells the lie, which makes the whole thing a lie. And then we go from there. And so it ends up six hours later, he finally does confess and uh, then ends up demonstrating for me what he did. And then he apologizes to me for wasting my time, for sitting in that room for six hours. Um.
1: I am just stunned at the stupidity that you're going to commit that crime and then take out money. But uh, you guys have seen it all, so I'm sure it didn't surprise you. But uh, I guess he was kind enough to uh, apologize for wasting your time. Um, (laughs) Scott, to you, um, I mean, it always amazes me, back to this for a minute, Phil, that people do not think about repercussions it's amazing like people just act in the moment why is that why before i get back to scott why don't people think if i pull this trigger and i kill this woman senselessly and then i go and use her atm card i will uh momentarily be able to buy myself my new skateboard but i will then be spending the next 75 years in the worst, you know, of prisons in the Texas Department of Corrections. Why do people not think about the result of their actions until it is too late?
0: Well, because they're people. And they are, you know, I've said it here before, I mean, you're you're either you're either out doing the right thing or you're doing the wrong thing. It's black and white. It's either good or it's evil, one or the other. And you're going to have consequences for either direction you choose to go. And I think in, in, in terms of, of the culture, uh, I think over the, at least since, well, since the 60s, you can see the moral foundation of the country being destroyed incrementally. And for a lot of reasons, one primarily that i I've talked about before here. And, uh, I, and I, just, uh, it is, um, because people don't think, I guess that's the, maybe that's the short answer here. They just don't think because they're in the moment because this, this guy, he tells me that he went out. The purpose for him going out that night was to rob someone because he didn't have any money, but he's going to go find somebody who does. And he's going to take it from her. And he's and going to- t- did he, but did he tell you why he decided to kill her, not just scare her and take the card? No. His explanation was that it was an accident. And, of course, my, my definition, of, I was asked about intent on the stand. And I, and I said, the minute a person takes a loaded weapon with them, for the purpose of committing an aggravated robbery, and something goes wrong, and either, they re- either the person resists, there's some sort of a, um, a noise that's made, a scream that draws attention to them, whatever that is that causes them to shoot him and kill them, the intent, the act was fulfilled but the intent was to do what they did when they took that loaded weapon with them. I don't think you can separate the two. I don't think you can say, well, I took the gun with me just to make sure I got the money, but you know what? I really didn't intend to to kill anybody with it. Well then, then why the hell do you have it? If that's the case, just go up there and tell them you're going to beat the crap out of them and, and take their money. Why use the weapon? Because they want the quick, they want the quick fix. Point the gun, give me your money most people are going to go oh yeah crap here it is and they leave and that's it so it it's the it's the uh i guess it's it's it, you know people these 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 criminals that element those people that make these terrible decisions on the side of wrong they've been brought up in a world where it's a you know instead of instead of living your life to have a fine dining experience They're in the fast food lane at McDonald's.
1: Well put. That's a mic drop moment right there. Uh, To the voice of reason, Scott Duffy, uh, just to, I find this very interesting. Same same, uh, experience as Phil in terms of these non custodial interviews that you've had. Do you find that most people will sit and talk to you uh, despite not having to be there?
2: Yeah, but early in my career, I, I changed it up a little bit. So for any interview that I did, um and usually as a partner I had somebody from a Delaware police department, Delaware State Police, Wilmington, Newcastle. So I often my my partner was a police officer, a detective working uh a case side by side. So for us, just in case it went federally, because, um, you know, it, it, it could change U.S. Attorney's Office to U.S. Attorney's Office. But, um, if we had a suspect, uh, identified, not yet arrestable, someone where a warrant has been put out, they haven't been put into any, uh, database NCIC what as, um, a suspect of our crime. And, uh, we were talking with them. I, I went and I did that extra step. Exactly. I agree with Phil. We had absolutely no requirement under the law to, to Mirandize them, but we did. And, um, and we've had people that, um, you know, came in thinking they were a witness to a crime because you got, you want to get them in the door first and foremost. And so it whether it be knocking at their door, uh, a telephone message or leaving a card and, and then they just follow up. That's that's. That's uh, that's clue number one that that things are pretty good. And then once they arrived, we we were always doing audio visual recordings of of those interviews. And uh, I, I would just make it a part of my hey, it, this is a formality, and and uh, going to read you your rights. And um, it, it is amazing that that uh, I would say many um, don't even blink, and they're like okay. This is how it's done in in a uh, FBI office or police station. And okay, And uh, then they would proceed. And and we did that because uh, for our sake, if if all of a sudden there was a there was a break in the interview where all of a sudden they were moving towards uh, confessing, we didn't want to break that. Um, And then all of a sudden, okay, now now that you're saying something. That's incriminating. Let me uh, let me now advise you if you're right. So we just did that early um, in in our interviews just to make it consistent. And and then um, for the most part, they did work in our in our favor. But there was no requirement to do that. That was just something uh, me and my partners had had decided to do. and 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 it did work out for us.
1: Uh, Melter Skelter writes, everyone is a bozo, incredulous that Phil thinks everyone who texts is a bozo, followed by Marina here, uh, Phil cracks me up, uh, this is one of my favorite ones here from Rain Dancer, the bozo texture doer, um, <laughs> Melter writes, uh, remind me not to piss off Phil, probably never a good idea, um, Justin writes, we love this, hey everyone, my first live show, Thanks for putting on a great show. Thanks for tuning in, Justin. Uh, Marvina writes, hello, everyone. And uh, the list goes on. Uh, Dallas, nature lover, Phil. Nope, I will not be friends with someone who ignores texts. I was injured and in an emergency room and sent a group text to family to let them know she cannot be friends with you. If she was injured, well, he might respond because he'd get the bozo horn. He might be the first to respond, actually.
0: You never know. Well, I, I never said. See, see, this is what I think is funny about people. <laughs> because, you know, they're not even listening to what I said. So uh, they, they hear what they want to hear so they can offer some sort of, uh, you know, opinion. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't say I didn't answer the texts. I just said i like to know that I've got a bozo texting me.
1: I had a uh boss in the TV news business who used to say, People, the problem that won't go away. Oh, true. Um Daff says, Hi from Manitoba, Canada. Um, Mac 19, ha ha ha. I love it, Phil. I had the crickets alert for a boyfriend who never spoke when things got serious. Mac is just my pet's name, by the way, in case you thought Mac was uh the real name. Um oh. And uh, Lita here uh, visiting my mom in South Florida. Uh, you're in our neck of the woods, uh, enjoying Joel and his best guests. What's not to enjoy about the best guests? Um, and then Jay Thomas reset. Um, oh, there he is. There's Hunter. He's back. He's. Do you really believe that BK had a victim's ID? Do you really believe that? I love that Jay's a cynic. Look, and you got to have cynics in the world. And. Uh, well,
0: you know, I, I, I love I love Jay, but again, those words didn't come out of anybody's mouth on this panel. So I don't know who he's listening to, but none of that was ever said.
1: There you go, Jay Thomas. Re said Jimmy C, a friend of the show, uh, as well as his beautiful wife Jeannie. Uh, multitasking. Don't tell the police this. Driving and watching. Can't no. miss the Joel and Gang show. Um, Scott and Phil didn't just hear that you said that you're driving and watching. Um, be careful on the road. Well,
0: well, let me say something here, Joel, unless yes, unless they've got a dead body in the trunk, I could care less about them driving and watching. There you go. Jay Thomas reset says whoever
1: did the 1122 King road crime. It wasn't their first time out of the box. So he's coming back. Um, uh, let me look at this. Uh, Let's look at Frankie Figg's comment here. If law enforcement obtains, say, phone records via a warrant during the investigation in Idaho, can they use those records to look at other crimes, Phil? Sure. Sure, Frankie. The answer to that is sure. (laughs) We're moving on here. Um, Lori Vallow Daybell. We've got some news on this. They have now... They have now seated a jury, and it is made up of 10 men and 8 women, um, uh, 6 of who will be alternates. 10 men, 8 women, and the jurors are going to be sworn in on Monday. Scott, I ask this question often. um, Is there such a thing as a slam dunk case? Most people like yourselves always say no,
2: but is this as close as you can get in some ways? what do you think? Yeah, so I saw Phil shaking his head and I would say absolutely not, right? There is yeah. no slam dunk case. And and I you know and I think Phil can can relate when when the investigator feels like we have everything imaginable. You can always get more, but you feel really good and then you start looking at the jury like, wait a minute, what what did I miss? Or because, you know, you have different attor- different defense attorneys that come up with different ideas. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's somewhat of a show and, uh, we do our jobs because that's, that's, we, we do it with the purpose of, of finding the truth. And then we present everything in a courtroom, but we're not the presenters. It is the attorneys, the prosecutors, the defense attorneys, things can be, things can go sideways really quick. Um,
0: you know, uh, Scott used an interesting word there. And that word was presenter. And I will tell you, I would tell prosecutors that I worked with when we had a case that was not a slam dunk. And it needed it needed to have a a district attorney, an assistant district attorney that was going to take what they had. And have passion about presenting it to that jury. Because Scott's right, you never know what a jury's gonna do. You really do not know what a jury's gonna do. I've had some juries just, you've got to be freaking kidding me, you know. But I would tell those prosecutors that and they were and, and they were friends of mine. But there were when they when they got that little touch of being timid, it would alarm me because I knew we had a good case. We had a good, solid case, and it was going to be, as Scott's Mm -hmm. alluded to, how that case is presented to the the jury. And what I would tell them was, is this, you've got to make a decision that you're either going to be a presenter or you're going to be a prosecutor. And if you cannot make the decision, then you're going to walk in there and you're going to be trying to put your legs on both sides of that fence. And you're going to try to be middle of the road. And what happens with those people that are like that, that won't make a commitment one way or the other, they're trying to please everybody and they just end up pissing everybody off. So that was my best advice to them. And all of them turned out to be prosecutors. I had some really, really talented, knowledgeable uh, prosecutors when I worked in homicide.
1: Just Me says, waving from Spokane, Washington. Look at this. Uh, hello from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. If wow. That was not enough. Noonie, hello from Armenia. Armenia. Wow. Uh, hard to believe. Um I'm a weird bird, and I'll tell you why in a second. We've got New Orleans. We've got uh, Atlantic Canada. Mitzpah says, welcome to the world. She's still awake, apparently, so that's good. Uh, hello from Colorado. Hello from Seattle. Hello from Portland. Hello from Germany. Hello from the Northeast. Um, the list goes on. So I'm a weird guy because uh, I love this radio show Coast to Coast. They talk about... Aliens and conspiracy. Art Bell. Bell. And so I listened
0: to
1: Awesome. The best. (laughs) And I listened to old Art Bell shows. And I was listening to an old Art Bell show recently. Art's among the
0: aliens now, right? He is among
1: he is among the aliens. For those of you who don't know art, you gotta Google Art Bell. But he uh married a woman, his first wife passed away, and married a woman in the Philippines, and I was listening to a show. From 2002. And he was going on and on about how uh, his technology uh, that the company was able, because he worked for a big, big media company, uh, they were able to make it work that he could do a show from the Philippines that could be broadcast live to the United States. And that was only 20 years ago. And here we are in 2023, and we've got Armenia and Connecticut and Myrtle Beach. And Humble Texas all on the same show. So, uh, Humble,
0: Humble. there is no umble. Oh, is no, no H, umble,
1: Humble, Texas. And I had Phil correct me. Where is Umble Texas? It's uh,
0: right here in, in Harris County, it's uh, right outside of Houston.
1: Whoever's in Umble, do not break into uh, Phil's bunker, whatever you do. Um,
0: they're, they're on the other side of the world from me, so. <laughs> Scott,
1: there's my cough. Um, So this trial is starting, and I've asked this question before. There are basically three states involved in this, Arizona, Idaho, and Hawaii, where these two evildoers were bouncing around. Um, How do you coordinate those investigations, and what are these investigators doing right now to prepare for this trial? And answer that in under nine seconds, please,
2: You oh, wow. time. So, so, so anybody that's outside of Idaho, good for them, right? It's, uh, any, any time that I could assist another agency from another state or another country, I'd be, I'm all in and make sure you put my name down as a witness because I, I want to travel. So the, the traveling is coordinated through the prosecutor's office. And that's sometimes the tough, the, the where the money comes in and bringing in witnesses, babysitting witnesses, whatever have you. Um, but law enforcement wherever it is we, we it's it goes to show you just how small the world can be especially in the law enforcement community because everybody's there to help for the most part I, I i've seen in my career so um they they are they are preparing very well with the prosecutors my guess is through lots of zoom meetings and telephone calls and then ultimately are being brought in if they already aren't there to, uh, to have many sit-down meetings with the prosecutors, all the investigators, and, and just going through everything, all the witnesses, et cetera, and making sure they're doing great trial prep to making sure they've covered everything, covered all angles, and uh and any question that they think could come up has already been answered.
1: Um, Mountain Girl writes Rick Allen Ross, I was a cult expert we had on last night, and I don't say because it it's my show. But uh, you should check it out because it's my show. But it's also super interesting. Uh, He was riveting yesterday. Mountain girl writes had a client who had been in the Heaven's Gate cult. Uh, with I think his name was Marshall Applewhite. Uh, left uh, before they all met their fate. He was the trippy looking, white haired, sort of balding guy that had everyone kill themselves so they could go to uh, in their tennis shoes, so they could go to heaven. Uh, back to Phil mentioning Scott Peterson. Sharp Tack writes, Scott Peterson needs to fry. uh, um, And uh, Melter Skelter, thank you, SCS, for bringing bringing us these knowledgeable guests, the best of the best. Um, This is an interesting question from Catherine here and Phil. I was going to ask you a different question, but we'll ask you this one first. Um, Phil and Scott, do you have formal training in body language, or do your skills just come
0: from years of experience? Phil waters i went to several classes on body language and interviewing you know the reed school is the kind of the the grandfather of <clears throat> excuse me of all those schools and have been through the Rhodes school which is a <clears throat> excuse me a um another school that was available and that was that was um Uh, three or four days. And that that was kind of a different spin on things because he was not only a former chief of police, but he also had a doctorate in psychology. So a lot of his interviewing techniques were framed around uh, psychology and the way you framed questions. And of course, by the time I got through with that, I realized, I mean, he had some great stuff, but I realized that I would have to have a doctorate in psychology to be able to apply anything that he just taught us for the last three or four days. So, uh, but I've been to, uh, and then there's been a couple others that I've been to as well. And then I have, with my old partner, we wrote up a curriculum for interviewing and had a basic interview course and an advanced interview course. And we taught, We took the best of everything that we had been taught. We put it together in our curriculum. And then what was different about ours was that we had a different presentation about the way we conduct interviews. So it was, uh, so yes, I mean, to answer that question, yes. And, and, and plus, and, and you only get better. And Scott, I think, will agree with me. You only get better at interviewing when you, interview. So the more of those, and I'm talking about everything that you do in this, where you're talking to a witness, where you're talking to a complainant, whether you're talking to a suspect, where you're just walking into a store and you are asking them, can we get the video that you guys may have? So if you, if you approach it that way and, and the way that you speak to people and the way you communicate with people, you will get better at it. And I tell everybody in the classes that I teach, and I've taught interviewing all over the world and people are people and they are, and and cops are cops. I don't care where you go. Cops are cops and crooks are crooks. So they're always willing to absorb new information that's going to help them do their jobs better. And the interview process or getting, getting comfortable it, when you're a patrol officer, we would encourage people that took our class in patrol that apply these things to everybody you come in contact with. You make a you make a little uh, uh, dope bust out there, interview that person that you're arresting. Get used to getting in that kind of a mindset about interviewing people. Get comfortable mirandizing people if you need to, and, sh- and we show them the proper way to mirandize someone and making sure you get a uh, uh, an, ex- an explicit uh, waiver to those rights to, to continue the conversation. So it, it's a combination of things, and I always wanted to get better at it. I still do. I try to learn something new every day. I watch a lot of these shows where interviews are conducted because I want to see if there's something that they're doing that I've never seen before, and I'm a great poacher, and I'll take it and I'll use it. So. Uh, it, it does take, and it, it it's an art. Um, it, it's an, it's an art, the art of the interview and it takes experience and it takes doing it and doing it right over and over again to get better at it. But I, I told people in those classes that look, uh, the purpose of this class is not to turn you into a little fill because pl- there's enough of fill to go around. Trust me. So, um, what, What I emphasized was is that you may you may never be a great interviewer, but you will always be a better interviewer. So put into practice. Then the payoff was, and Scott, you may have experienced this. I know you you teach that you teach a course up there where you're at, right? Yes. So the payoff was that one of these patrol officers, or you know, however many that went through that class, would call me when they got their first confession and it was like, man, this stuff works. And I'm like, there you go. So, uh, so that, that affirmation that they get when they do it, when they use the things they've been taught, it just makes them better as they proceed through their career and conduct interview after interview, after interview.
1: People are people, cops are cops and crooks are crooks, the great Bill Waters. Um, (laughs) Scott Duffy, the FBI has deep pockets. Did they send you for um, body language type behavior? And Lorna says Phil's got it made real quick. Marina, what's not to love? We love Scott and Phil. We've got Northern Ireland in the house. And uh, a quick jab at Phil. Can't hunt ducks in a Ferrari while wearing a flowery shirt. It just don't work. It's almost well, like that's okay because I don't hunt ducks. So that's taken care of. There you go, Jay Thomas. You uh, said, Scott. Did you take body language courses at the FBI? Did they send you down to Quantico or wherever they send you?
2: Yeah. So, so when I started in '97, it was a like a 16-week course. It's then gone into 22 weeks, I believe it is now. Um, so, yeah, the the um, I think today's agent is getting somewhat of 140 plus hours of rigorous training. Um, and that's for victims, witnesses and suspects. And 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 so you're you're there's a lot of role playing. The FBI then uh, developed their own interview interrogations course. I was one of the ones that went in on on the pilot and uh, or early, you know, in the last 15 years and and then have taken that with with the just like Phil going into the popular Reed school, uh, you know, not only a basic but advanced. I, I think the best course I've gone to was actually in Tel Aviv, and and so it was a two-week inter- interview interrogation course, and uh, to to witness to see things to to go through different departments, different countries, really does just uh, fine-tune. But it is a skill; it is an art. If you're not doing it, it, it it's going to erode. And so, same way in my classes, teaching. The basics. I try to to get the zero to five years experience, the patrolman, the early young, young detective, and then just say this is just another some uh, a tool to put in your toolbox, and hopefully it works. And and just like Phil, I love when somebody reaches out and says, "Yes, I applied this. I applied that," and um, you know, you you just keep doing it and doing it, and you keep watching others. I've had young agents, rookie agents, that I would sit by and And then, watch them and see you know there's some natural talent, but there there's a lot of good information that you can learn and say, "Hey, that's not something i've uh I've applied, and i'm gonna try it but but I would say the key, the key the key is rapport you establish a relationship with whoever you have in that room and and if you're you're able to you you know quickly that uh you know. The the chemistry has been established. It's there, and the person on the other side of that table is um, is, is listening, and and you can tell by their body language. I'm either there or I'm not, and uh, to keep them tuned, to keep them engaged, and and ultimately get what you need, and that is the truth. That that piece of information that you probably already knew you had. It's going to support the evidence, back up the evidence, and, and then, of course, it's in their own words, their own writing, and bingo. I smell
0: comment about what Scott just said was, "There's never a table between me and the person I'm interviewing. Ever. What do you do with the table? It's over to the side. It's just where I can put stuff. I don't take notes during an interview. I don't utilize the table. I set them separate and apart from the table. I don't want them using it as a crutch. And, um, yeah, I don't want any degree of separation at all. Very. I smell, and I might be wrong, but
1: I smell coming up at some point in the near future, a special show entitled The Art of the Interview with uh, Phil and Scott, um, these guys get paid a lot, so maybe we'll, we'll figure out a way to do this. So I'm going to talk to these guys. It's super interesting, and I can sit and listen to that for hours. People use a table as a crutch. Physically, they will hold
0: on to it. It's uh, What do they do with it, Phil? They'll use it. on it. Uh, look, when I, when I, 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 could, I could show you some interviews that the person I, – I, the room set up, everything in the interview room is critical. So setting up the interview room is critical. So the table gets pushed into the corner. It's going to be there. It's going to put the stuff on it. I'm going to be in a chair with wheels. They're going to be in a chair with no wheels. They're going to be about, oh, I don't know, uh, seven, eight, ten inches away from that table. They are not going to be able to get access to it. I have had some when I've walked in the room where they have turned the tape, turned the chair to the end of the table, and they're sitting there waiting for me. And I just walked in, and very nicely, I say to them, I need you to move back around uh, like this. And they do. And that does a couple of things. Number one, it puts them it puts them where I want them in that room. And the second thing is it shows them in a very subtle way that I'm in control of this interview. And uh, what if they have a
1: cup of coffee that they're drinking? Where do they put it down? On the floor? Well, they can put it on the table. Oh, on the table. next and, time. I got
0: and, it. and they've got that cup of coffee or that bottle of water because
1: I've offered it to them. Fascinating. I definitely smell a show on this. And, uh, speaking of that, um, M Friday writes, I feel the complete opposite to Phil about texting versus calling. Please don't call me unless it's an emergency, different people, different, uh, expectations. Sharnay okay. Venter writes, good evening from Cape town, South Africa. Um, mm. Interesting, interesting. Um, Phil, I wanted to get your take on this, and then we'll uh, do a few minutes on this guy in uh Silicon Valley, which is an, inter- an interesting story. Uh Brian Enton, who you know, Phil, from uh, News Nation, yes, he interviewed um a woman who was close to uh Lori Vallow's circle, the so-called doomsday mom. Brian. And she explained uh she was part of this. Cult uh, explained that Lori saw her children as cockroaches controlled by a parasite, and that killing the kids to them is mercy. Um, I was curious when I read this: what the hell would Phil do with Lori Vallow if he knew this in an interview room? Uh, If you knew that, have you have you had cult members that you've interviewed before? Um, And if you knew that this thought process that she viewed her kids as cockroaches and parasites and knew that
0: she had, a, how would you approach that kind of an interview? Well, I used to, when I worked in narcotics, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of crooks that were into uh, the cults of, uh, you know, satanic cults. We
1: had, uh, By the know. way, not to interrupt, but look at Jessica. Has Phil or Scott had a case as convoluted as a Chad Lurie case? If so, how did they handle the interrogation of such delusional individuals? That is exactly my question. Yeah. I didn't even see it, so uh, yeah. I didn't so mean to I, interrupt.
0: Yeah, one of the, the only reason I'm, I'm saying what I'm saying is that I, I used to teach um, about cults. And, and at the time, we had kind of a deal going here around Houston where we had some uh, satanic type cults and gatherings and that kind of thing. And of course, with the uh, in the drug drug world, you've got practitioners of Santeria, Brujeria, Palo You know, you've got a lot of different uh, cult type activities going on. So I kind of became immersed in that, and 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 did give instruction about cults and about for patrol officers. To, things to recognize what they saw certain things in vehicles and that kind of things, tattoos, that kind of stuff. But in, in regards to, um, so I, I did talk to, I have, I have talked to some, some cult members to try to get an idea of just the mindset, what causes them to join that. And they all have a, it's kind of a, a common denominator that those people that get involved in these things are are like all of us, they're, they're searching for an answer and they come across somebody. And in this particular case, like a Chad Daybell, who, who seems to, and they, they both come from kind of common religious backgrounds. So they've got that connection. And then this Daybell character, he presenting himself as a prophet, And, and that kind of thing. And she starts and he starts writing books that are kind of apocalyptic and she's reading the books. I think he even had a science fiction book out. He's kind of like an L. Ron Hubbard kind of nut job. And, um, so it, to, to interview someone like her, you've got to have an understanding about her mindset, about how she's thinking and how she looks at things and if she is in fact that this is what Ryan uh, discovered from this person he interviewed, that she looked at those kids as cockroaches and they needed to be something exterminated and that kind of a thing, I think there's at some point where doesn't isn't she she's either trying to convince Chad or they're in mutual agreement that the, these kids are are somehow zombies. I think is the word I've heard used. Zombies. It was more Chad apparently influencing Lori, but. About you know, the zombie thing. But correct. you know what? So I, I wonder about some of this stuff. And and when I when I watch uh her even now in the court settings, and then you go back to the interviews that they conducted when her fourth husband was murdered by her brother. And I it's very interesting to me to watch her because the expressions and her demeanor. Remain unchanged. So you, you've you've kind of got this uh, this Stepford Wife effect on her. It's just like you know if she if she said, "I took the kids out for ice cream yesterday," it would be the same inflection if she said, "I took the kids out and murdered them yesterday." It just seems to be consistent with the, with the demeanor that she seems to portray, and and watching her in the courtroom when she when she sees when she hears something, I just watch the expression on her face, and it's kind of like I just can't believe they said that. I mean, it, it is it's interesting just to watch her without her saying a word. And, so, and there's been
1: there's been a lot of discussion because she's giggling a lot, um, and people are wondering where is her defense team? You know, during jury selection, telling her not to giggle. Uh, you're on trial for the murder of your two children.
0: You know. Well, I'm going to tell you something. That is, that is a a that's a body language function that that we, we call that in the room we call that inappropriate laughter and it is another feature and and again it's not just one particular part of body language that shows deception it's a combination of those things so when you watch her when she does the inappropriate laughter and then she'll do some other things she may lick her lips she may look she may look over and look look around or she may feign su- surprise that kind of thing she is trying to. Some of that, uh, most of that, is something she cannot control. I mean, she can. Th- those defense attorneys can tell her all day long. Please, you've got to quit the the giggling. You've got you've got to quit doing some of this stuff. You because she sits there with with a smile on her face the whole time. I mean. Good grief i mean it's almost like she doesn't comprehend although she does what she's in there, why she's sitting in that room so it she's she's an interesting character just from a just from just to observe in terms of the way she she presents herself in the courtroom the same way that she presented herself in the interview with her with the dead husband i mean and and she's very matter of fact about this stuff. I mean, she just she's like, you know, hey, yeah, you know what? Um, it was just I think in, in part of the interview with when her husband was murdered. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know. I mean, there's I mean, it's it, it was it's it's a very interesting study, and to interview someone like her, you've got to understand that that is her mindset and let her explain things. And but but don't let her. Take control of the of the interview. So, yeah, she's a very interesting character to to analyze in terms of just uh, her demeanor, her body language, and so forth, and so on through this process.
1: And a very sweet character is Marina in the south of Spain. She uh, often will write or <laughs> tell me certain things like my posture is horrible. I need a better desk. And she is saying here, Joel, squeeze lemon juice in a bottle of water. And take very small sips very often. It is a miracle. I'm going to do that. I have not been able to get rid of this dry cough, followed by baby doll. What's up, baby doll? STS Nation. Um, Scott, uh, have you you were working narcotics a lot, but did you ever uh come into contact with anything remotely related to cults? And how would you approach this sort of level of wackiness inside that uh interview room and then we'll wrap up real quickly with this one other case that I find interesting
2: and we will call it a good friday pun intended. uh Scott. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I I did not. I um I've come across people of all different uh I would say a multitude of of some diagnoses out there these uh, mental disabilities or people on the spectrum, etc. and and so like anything else it, it's It's an interview it's, it's, it's allowing somebody to talk. are they rational or is what they're saying if they're not deceiving me, like intentionally deceiving the lie, if somebody really is is, is having a mental break or or something of that nature like I've, I've been around plenty of people who have had mental breaks not during an interview process but you know in, in some other uh, fashion. So you see, you see what is on the face. You see what the words that are coming out. It is irrational, et cetera. so, in an interview room, um, if if somebody were to speak, I w- and I'm speaking purely hypothetical, not from experience, it it would be okay. So, what is being said here, and allow the conversation to just to continue. Um, like like I have said, I have recorded every pretty much every interview. That i have done and and so thereby you are allowing the words to be spoken and and anybody can make a judgment of hey what why is that being said and and then they can see for themselves the um the the uh, the facial expressions and whatnot right and so talking earlier about profiling and whatnot no so like Phil, you're you're just using your experiences. You're watching a lot of of other people doing interviews, et cetera, and you're looking at the facial expressions, the bodily cues, combined with all the education that you've received in the classroom, putting them together and then making an assessment and and saying, yeah, that that you're on point. You're not on point. And so so someone who was expressing very delusional um explanations to something for example the giggling you know during talking about or or referring to the homicide of your own children i know as a rational father human being that um that that was not something that i would do and 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 anybody else who is in love or has love for their children or loved one and then all of a sudden to see something so out of the ordinary that is just phenomenally different and and so giggles or just total expressions outside of of um, of that is rational yeah it would would make me wonder what is being said how and and why so ultimately the interview room is is just in a conversation and um and you can tell just by normal bodily clues somebody's holding back somebody's not holding back somebody's going to tell you the information and. And uh, and the reasons behind it, they either they either click or they don't, to a rational person who's observing.
1: YouTube user, I love the name because it is uh, right to the point. Uh, love and respect to you all, SGS big fan from the UK. So much love and many cuddles to Carm. I will tell her you and yours. Uh, baby doll writes, I would date Phil. Calm down, everybody. I know he's married. I hope his wife is not watching because she won't let him uh, on the show anymore baby doll you're uh oh that's
0: a- not true my wife and i are going on 40 years plus so uh i don't <laughs> think she's gonna be bothered by that canada wheezy's in canada uh norla's
1: in australia look at this this we've not seen this before guys we've got jackie from the uk this is cool. um yeah. it is cool we've got east tennessee here uh to round us out We'll, we'll finish up on this story, because uh, I'm intrigued by this, and this could become a bigger story over the days. His name is Bob Lee, and he just moved to Miami, where I am, but he's became very successful at a very young age uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, he was instrumental in creating the mobile payment service Cash App, as it is known. On Tuesday, around 2.35 a.m. in the morning in a well to do neighborhood of San Francisco uh by the embarcadero uh he was stabbed and people do not know who killed this guy uh his name is Bob Lee uh by all accounts a wonderful man um they released some of the 911 call you can hear him screaming help uh someone stabbed me and then uh there's another person who gets on 911 and says that there's a male screaming help saying someone stabbed him um and then the night you can hear the nine one one operator and someone saying, "Advise he is bleeding out. He is outside on the street." Phil, this is um, look Rincón Hill uh, again, a pretty well to do area of a, a city that, by all accounts, seems to be crumbling before our eyes. San Francisco, super successful. Just sold his home in Silicon Valley. I think he sold it for four point four million dollars. He's got two children. He actually had his dad move in with him to a place here in Miami. Uh, he's working on a few other tech companies. Stabbed uh, in the early morning hours. How do you, how do you begin here, uh, Phil, to investigate this? And he's obviously someone of a higher profile nature. Um, do you look at surveillance camera uh, cameras? Are you speaking to, there are not a lot of people out at 2.35 in the morning. Uh, where do you start?
0: Is, and and what's what's the the location? Is it a? a, it, a it it was outside a uh, apartment
1: building on the apartment. sidewalk on a sidewalk outside the apartment building in this well-to-do neighborhood in a very high-tech area. Does he reside in that apartment? Uh, no, he was just in town visiting. He lived there for many years. Moved to Miami. He was there on business. Hmm. Allegedly, well, there on business.
0: Yeah, yeah right. My first question would be is, what is he doing out at 2.30 in the morning at that location? And that I didn't be- think of that.
1: So there's there's a difference between a guy with 40 years law enforcement experience and
0: a guy with none. I didn't think about
1: that. But uh, 2.30 in the morning, you're probably not coming from a business meeting. So that's your first question.
0: Well, that would be my first question as to uh, why is he there and what gets him there? Is he... Is there a vehicle nearby that he's rented? Did he get there with an Uber or a Lyft or a taxi? How does he get to that location and, and why is he at that location? And then if he's got a cell phone on him, then you're going to look and scroll through that phone. Let's see who he spoke with last. Is there any text messaging and, uh, that was calling him to that location for whatever reason? let me stop you real quick because I know nothing about nothing about nothing. Um,
1: You get that. Are you allowed to just freely go into a uh, victim's cell phone? Do you have to get some sort of court uh, order to be able to do
0: that? Or you just pick up a cell phone and you're right away allowed to go through it? Well, the victim's cell phone, yes, because it no longer has a, no longer a subscriber. And in a sense, it's, it's, it's now abandoned. I mean, there's no, now you can you can get a search warrant if you want to, but uh, we've had uh, you know we're going to have to expedite that and now later on of course we're going to get we're going to dump the phone and so forth and so on. but that initial blush is if that phone is there, the first thing I want to know is what's the last number that contacted them or where was the last text message coming from? who was it coming from? what was the nature of those of those text messages and that's that now that's contingent remember that you can get into the phone if if the phone has got a passcode which most of them do or it's got face recognition that kind of thing um presumably if he had that type of a feature on it you could put it up to his face and boom the phone would open but um and and the laws may be different in Cal- well, everything's different in California so <laughs> i won't even i won't even speak to that um so, I, so yeah, there's there's some things that you can do right there initially at the scene that are going to give you some, hopefully, that will give you some direction uh, to go, and and that would be transportation. Why is he there? How did he get there? Uh, who is he? Who is he meeting? Can we identify that person and for what purpose? And Scott, the uh, San Francisco DA,
1: a person named Brooke Jenkins, said on Twitter, "No arrests have been made in the case." We do not tolerate these horrific acts of violence in San Francisco, she went on to say, even though there's horrific acts of violence every day in San Francisco right now. Um, And then his father was quoted as saying, Bob would give you the shirt off his back. He would never look down on anyone and adhere to a strict, no judgment philosophy. His brother, uh, Tim Oliver Lee on Facebook posted about his brother's death saying, I was so fortunate to grow up with him. And I feel like I've lost part of myself. Um, same, by the way, Marina writes, yes, please, the art of the interview. So we're, we're going to work on something about that. Yeah. And then Andy, friend of the show, hello from Detroit to the best crime channel with the best guest. Hi, Phil and Scott. Um, I don't know. This case uh, caught my attention. I mean, just because it seems to be such a random act of violence, but then it's attached to a very high profile uh, tech executive, Scott um does the fact that it is so high profile does, what kind of pressure does that add to law enforcement that, that you found uh, in the course of your career when you know um look if we're being honest if this was a you know just a, a random individual on the streets of San Francisco that no one's ever heard of and it's a stabbing and it goes unsolved you know the family's going to care but here it's got the attention Elon Musk tweeted about this um, other big tech executives have tweeted about it so what about the uh, high profile pressure
2: on top of uh where would you start with this yeah i mean there is pressure right but but as an investigator the the um the notoriety the in, or the famousness, whatever of a victim should never come into play but yes you do have i would say undue pressure it is pressure that's coming from from all the uh political um uh Parties where they're saying, "Hey, get me something, get me something, get me something," and if there is not something that's that's readily there, that has a hot lead, and um, some time is going to take place where good old-fashioned uh, investigative work is the only way to to get something. Um, it's it's important for this is where a good supervisor comes in to to keep that distance from from the investigation, the investigators, those who are in in it and uh those of the powers that be that just want information right because everybody wants the information of all the political leaders and all those in, in places of power um so but but like phil said there there are there are important questions and hopefully investigators are looking at hey the time of night for somebody um uh of, of that stature why, why are you out? Are you walking a dog or pet? Are you, are you just leaving a bar? You're just doing this, you, but 2.30 in the morning. And, and, and that's just where the victimology is important. Is this somebody who is ultimately, no matter where he's living or traveling to is always out at 2, 2.30 in the morning, whether it be, um, at a, at a, a, a bar or somebody who's just running, I, I, you know, not having enough. That's where it's important um to come up with uh with the victimology. So you can say, oh, so so being at, out at two thirty is a normal pattern for this individual as opposed to is this is this something that's a targeted hit, is this something that's a total random act of violence. It's uh but but it's important for a supervisor at this point to keep keep the distance and keep that pressure off the investigation so the investigation um can go about just like any other uh um homicide investigation for these these investigators sue panakis hi from perth
1: western australia where there was just a big ufc event i'm a big ufc fan really enjoy these i'm not intelligent but these discussions are intelligent (laughs) i'm talking about ufcs as she's discussing intelligent conversations so and by the way the ufc there's a ufc fight in miami tomorrow i'm a big fan of the fight game i uh it's it's a lot of Courage in a weird way to get into an octagon and fight another man, something I wouldn't do, but Phil waters would and Scott <laughs> Duffy would too, I'm sure, but speaking of Phil waters, in case you didn't know, he is America's most respected detective uh He has become a, a a world expert at obtaining criminal confessions. you heard him you heard him say it himself, he's been all around the world teaching classes on this more than twenty three years in the houston p d over four hundred homicide cases. He is the owner, if uh, you need help, of Kindred Spirits Investigations, and he's also the star of the new show, The Interrogator, which I switched to The Investigator. It must be a Freudian thing, because Phil always says he didn't like the name, The Interrogator. But it really should have been called The Interviewer. But Phil, back to this case of Bob Lee, this tech executive, and then whatever you'd like uh, to share to round out the show. Um Is this the kind of thing that would keep you up at night? Uh, It happened on Tuesday in the middle of the night. Apparently an innocent guy stabbed. You don't know if it was a robbery or for what reason. Kind of mysterious circumstances. Back in the day when you were in the middle of the middle of the middle of all your action, uh, is this the kind of thing where your wife would have said, Bill, it's time to go to bed. It's time to catch an hour's worth of sleep. And you would have said, no, I got to figure out what's going on here.
0: Well, a case like that, which I have had some, is uh, if you get some clues, you run and gun until you can take a break. So I've I've gone 36, 48 hours straight, tried to catch a little power nap for maybe 15, 20 minutes in my office, sitting in my chair. And then once that dust is settled and you've, at that point, you're going to have supervisors that are going to tell you to go home and get some sleep and then come back and start it all up again. So, uh, yeah, those, those, uh, I don't know what leads they have there, or where they are in the course of the investigation, but there were, uh, there were, uh, I, I, I had a, I had a pretty good uh, philosophy about not taking stuff home with me. So I I never brought case files home. I didn't do reports at home uh, because that stuff's always going to be there the next day. When I was able to go home and go to sleep, uh, then I would take that take the, the advantage of that and then get up and hit it hard the next day and uh and get back down there and into it. And there were many times where I would discuss where we were because my wife always asked me, Well, okay, what's going on? Da, 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 da. And uh, and she might make some suggestions that I hadn't thought about, and so uh, uh, yeah. But in, in most cases, I I don't I don't recall ever losing sleep over a case. It was getting the sleep when I could. And Phil, let me put you on the spot
1: since you probably know very little about this case, and you're going to tell me to buzz right off. But uh, what's your gut tell you after all these years? Is this a uh, random? Robbery gone bad or something more sinister?
0: Oh, you can buzz right off.
1: I knew he'd say that. Uh Sensory <laughs> Combustion, meanwhile, says, thank you, <laughs> Phil and Scott. Great show. Scott, if you didn't know, is the director of Wilmington University's Criminal Justice Institute, an FBI agent in Delaware for 20 years, a Pennsylvania police officer for five and a half years. He keeps Phil and myself straight. He is the voice of reason. Um by the way, Marina says we need to meet Mrs. Phil. She must be something. She must be a patient woman. Uh Okay, well here's
0: my response when everybody when anybody <laughs> says that. They don't call her Saint Sandra for nothing. Saint Sandra, look at that.
1: Do you call her Sandy or is it Sandra? Sandra. My mother-in-law is Sandra, is Sandy, but her real name is Sandra. But if you call her Sandra, she gets mad. So it's Sandy. Shout out to Sandy. Um, Both Sandra and Sandy. Uh, Nancy Dennis writes, learn so much every time. Scott, what tidbit of knowledge can you leave STS Nation with before we sign off? No pressure. It could be about anything.
2: (laughs) It's Good Friday. So... um... (laughs) Everyone be good. The sun, the sun will be rising in three days. Amen. <laughs> all, and all will be good again.
0: Amen. And he's talking about the S-O-N. <laughs> well, I would remind everybody my final comment was, that was great, Scott. And we didn't plan that, by the way. Um, so, uh, yeah, everyone have a good Easter and and keep in mind exactly what Scott just talked about, uh, what it's all about.
1: Took the Jewish guy one iota of a second, but I got it. And I'm on board and I get what everyone is saying. And
0: hey, uh, we're all Jews.
1: We are. Ha- we're we're all one family. So happy Easter. Happy Good Friday. Happy Passover. And it's Ramadan too. I don't know if you say happy Ramadan, but happy Ramadan. And uh, a final comment here, of uh, which I just got. Great show and great panel. And a final comment. Phil has a cool haircut. And a final comment. Thank you, Joel, Phil, and Scott. Love you guys. Love you, STS Nation. Love you, America.
3: Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and...